0: Hear me? Right on. First things first, is Martinez here? Is Martinez here? I invited him to church last week, and he said he'd be here whenever you're preaching. Sometimes that's a great tool to get people to come, but it looks like he, uh, maybe he decided not to come because I'm preaching, so anyway, <laughs> hopefully not. Well, as I said, you probably heard Meyer, my wife's name by now. We sit over here. That's my wife over there in the corner, and we've been sitting over here, and I'm kind of starting to remember people's names over on this side. Maybe we need to start to sit in other places to try and Try and get to know some other people strategically. Whether we do that or not, if you see me around and, and you haven't introduced me, or maybe you know my name and I know your name, but we haven't met yet, please come up and say howdy. I'd love to, love to meet you, get to know you a little bit better. If I don't remember your name the second time we meet, it's not because I don't like you. I promise. It's because there's, there's a few of you whose names I need to remember, and, and uh, this brain isn't quite as big as I'd like it to be. On that note, or maybe to get off that note, let's open our Bible, shall we? Open the book of Isaiah. Open the book of Isaiah to chapter number 40. We'll be, we'll be in a couple chapters towards the end of the book, and we'll draw some application from it. But I'd like to give you a little bit of introduction first. A little bit of introduction to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is a fantastic book of the Bible. It's truly, it's, it's inspired by the Lord, and that makes it wonderful. But further than that, like more than that, it's just in, in the secular world, it's got to be recognized as a phenomenal piece of literature is Israel Isaiah is to Hebrew maybe I shouldn't stand there sounds loud uh, Isaiah is to he, the is to the Hebrew language what Shakespeare is to English. He writes in a very lofty style, and he's among the the greatest authors in history. He's got to be recognized as such. and And the way he writes is sometimes sometimes difficult even for Hebrew writers to understand. And just uh, just as well for that as well, because the concepts he covers are phenomenal. The glory of God and the Israel. He, he covers a wide array of topics. Speaking of topics, he is it's the largest book written by a prophet, and it covers such a wide range of topics. One of the three of them, there's several I could mention, but three I'd like to point out tonight. One is the glory of God. We see the glory of God and the magnificence of him as creator mentioned all throughout the scripture. And there's a wide array of themes, as I said, but bleeding into every single one of them is how glorified God is through it. The other two, we see that, that theme, but that is the biggest. This, the other two themes we see is that of judgment. Judgment. You see, Israel is in rebellion to their God. They've rebelled against the covenant they've made with their Savior. And God has to judge them for it. The book opens in Isaiah 1 with, Come, let us reason together. You know, we read that, word, that verse softly often. But often, those of you who are parents, you know if you point at your kids and say, Hey, get over here, we need to talk. That's the tone that the Lord has here. He needs to talk to his people. They've messed up. And that, that theme of judgment isn't alone, though. There's also a theme of hope. See, that judgment wasn't an end of itself. At the end of that verse, come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. He says, though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white, as snow you see god's people have rebelled against him and he's got to bring judgment against them. you as parents know that you've got to judge your children when they do wrong you can't let that child rule the house or the house will go to ruin and we as teachers we know that you can't let the, let a student rule the classroom or the academic objectives there there are no academic objectives if the kids are controlling the classroom you've got to have order and with god he wants to bless his people he wants to bring them good things But they're in rebellion to him. He's got to judge them. And the purpose of that judgment is to bring them to himself. We've got the theme of God's glory, his magnificence. We've got uh, God's judgment, but we've also got God's hope. The book of Isaiah is written primarily to Israel, but also he covers judgments to a great deal of nations, showing that God is God not just of Israel, but of the nations. He has passages in there uh, reading judgment and hope for Edom and for Tyre and for Philistia, for Assyria, as this, we'll mention Assyria, more more focused here in a moment, and all of these nations surrounding Israel. God is the God not just of Israel, but of the world. And this message of hope, it was for Israel. In Isaiah chapter 2, we see that, uh, that God... He has a plan for his people in the future when they turn to him. And, and, but this message of hope is also for the world. In Isaiah 55, he says, he says, Come ye all that are thirsty, and drink of my waters. All thee that lack money, and buy of my goods. He wants to bless the world through Israel. Amen. But he can't do that through Israel when they're in rebellion against him. That's the, one of the themes of the book of Isaiah. Like I mentioned a moment ago, uh, God is bringing judgment to his people. He mentions in, I think, Isaiah chapter 3 that their sin is so pervasive, it's like a fire. And it will take something like fire, judgment like fire, to purify them from it. And the fire that he chooses to use is the nation of Assyria. Unfortunately, during this time, you probably know this, but the, the nation is divided. You've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is taken captive first. Assyria comes and conquers that nation, brings them into captivity. Assyria sets their sights on the southern kingdom. The, the city of Jerusalem is surrounded. Hezekiah is king, and he's hopeless. He's got an army of 185,000 people surrounding him. That's a big army by any standards. But in 700 BC, this isn't just a big army. It's a big army. The, f- to give you, give you perspective, the population of, of, of a, a, a Jerusalem at this time is 25,000. If every man, woman, child, baby was armed, they wouldn't have any hope. They're, Israel's doomed. They're, they're done for hezekiah he turns to their god he, he he repents god delivers them from assyria and at this point assyria declines babylon begins to rise and and things look okay for jerusalem in fact another miracle happens their king this king that that just turned to their god gets sick he's on his deathbed he pleads with god for mercy He pleads with god for more time and god gives it to him Sometimes we look at the Bible and we just expect to see miraculous things happening all the time. But this doesn't happen all the time. The reason it's recorded here in their history is because this is significant. Like, Hezekiah is dying and God extended his life. This man is is being tremendously blessed. And this rising power in the east, Babylon hears of this. So they send emissaries. and and, And while those emissaries are there, Hezekiah it's beginning to get a little lifted up with pride. He tries to, to rub shoulders with this powerful potential ally. He opens up everything to them. He shows them the temple. He shows them his storehouse. He shows them their maps. He shows them everything. And, it, and Isaiah, he comes to Hezekiah and says, what are you doing? These are your enemy. Uh, uh, there, there, one day, there's going to be a time when your children are reigning, when everything you just showed to Babylon is going to be in Babylon. They're going to come, they're going to take you captive because of what you've done. You know what Hezekiah's response, this is a little bit of a side note, nothing to do with the message Hezekiah's response is, wait, like, that's happening to my kids, but not me. Okay, so this is good, this is okay. Like, this, this man who, who, who's turned to God, he seemed to be a good king, but he makes a foolish decision and the last thing we hear about him is this foolish statement of, well, it's going to happen to my kids, but I'm okay, so I'm, and this is okay. I mean, this is how Isaiah chapter 39 ends. A promise that, of judgment that Babylon's going to come and a foolish statement by a king. This is where we pick up in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 occurs several hundred years after that judgment that was pronounced occurs. Babylon comes, takes Israel captive, and they're in captivity for several years. And now their judgment is done And it's time to come back to Israel. And we read Isaiah chapter 40, and we see God call his people home. He says, your judgment is done. Your sin is atoned. It's time to come home. And you'd expect there to be rejoicing. You'd expect to hear songs of praise to their king. You'd expect to hear them glorifying their savior, their God. But they don't. This hard-hearted nation that God's had to judge time and time again, their heart is still hardened. We see this in Isaiah 40, verse 27. And this is God speaking to them. He says, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. And and sometimes the grammar can be confusing to us. But but what he's saying there, what they're they're saying there is, God doesn't know what's going on with our life. Like, he's just left us to rot in Babylon. Like, why did he do this to us? Like, he, he doesn't even know what we're going through. Sometimes in our lives as well. We know, like, mentally, yeah, God's there. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. We know that. But in our hearts, we believe he's not there for us. If he was, why would I be going through this? The children of Israel are here. Well, if, God, if God's really that powerful, why did the Babylonian gods triumph over us? If God's really that loving, why did he let this happen to us? And this is where we're at in the book of Isaiah. The next couple chapters, God lays out himself to his people. He reveals himself to his people, and he tries to prove to them, hey, I'm still your God. And I want to ask you tonight, are you struggling with something? There's a lot of people in this room. I, don't, I, I have no idea what's going on in your life. I imagine there's nobody in here that's it's having a crisis of faith and doubting if God exists, but maybe you're, you're wondering where God is in your life. Maybe you're just waiting for him to show up. Maybe there's something happening that you need him to show up for, and he hasn't yet. If you're struggling tonight, I'd like to share with you some concepts, some, some ideas from this past, these passages that will be an encouragement, that will show you who your God is. Firstly, tonight, I want you to see very fundamentally, God is the creator. As I mentioned, the main theme, one of the main themes of the book of Isaiah is his glory and his fact that he is the creator. Notice his response to Israel after verse 27. They say, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. He responds in verse 28, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. This is the, if you open your Bible and you flip to the first page and you start reading, the first thing you'll learn about your God he is creator. And with this, like, there's a couple things that come with this. But firstly, like, it's power. You cannot imagine. You will not read about. You will not think about. You cannot imagine a more powerful act than Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I, I read over that, and I don't even think about it. He created everything we see, everything we don't see. He, he is creator of the heavens. With that, he is powerful. Whatever problems we're facing, it's nothing. I had, a, I had a professor at college that loved the illustration. He'd have a guy come up here, and he'd have that guy like, do a power clean with, with some weight. and Then he'd hand the guy a one-pound dumbbell and say, do you guys think he can lift this? Of course he can lift it. Like, it was that, that He just power cleaned 125 pounds or whatever it was, and this one-pound dumbbell is nothing. That's our God. If he created the universe, our problems are nothing compared to him. Absolutely nothing. And those Babylonian gods that that we're going to look at in a second, they're nothing compared to our God. Ecclesiastes was written by a man who's searching for meaning. There's a lot of people searching for meaning in this life, isn't there? And he looks and he he tries to find it in his career. He tries to find it in family. He tries to find it in relationships. He tries to find it in all of these places. And he ends the book in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and says this. He says, remember now, thy creator. He's looked at all of these things, and the, at the end of the book, he comes back to his creator. And remember, we are his creation. With that means he's got great power, great power over us. But also remember, he's got vested interest in you. He made you. I thought about bringing it tonight. I didn't because it's embarrassing but I, I when i was when i was young i built a, i had an obsession with flashlights I, I some kids collect cards some i just i love flashlights and so i built one one time it was the dumbest thing ever like this thing like, wasn't very bright it needed a heat sink because it was so inefficient it was terrible but i liked it i loved it cuz it was mine i made it you are far more intricately crafted than a stupid flashlight the creator has a vested interest in you. He loves you. He created you. And and time and time again, he says to his people, Israel, I made you. We'll look at that in just a second. Isaiah chapter 46. In fact, if you want to turn there, we'll be there in a second. He says that I made you. I carried you. He has a vested interest in you because you are his creation. I want you to see Isaiah, uh, um, Isaiah 46. Notice one of uh, the children of Israel, they, they're surrounded by these gods in Babylon. And perhaps they're looking at them and they're thinking, man, if, these, if this nation conquered us, perhaps their gods are stronger than us. And this is what God has to say about them. Bel boweth down, nebo stupeth. Bel refers to, uh, uh, it's just a generic term for God that the Babylonians would use, and it refers to the chief of their gods, Marduk. And think of this. He was a conquered god. He, he wasn't something the Babylonians thought of. He was a conquered god. And God points that out. Notice he says, he says in verse 2, they stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but themselves are gone into captivity. God's, God, god's mocking these, these little g-gods, and he's saying, look at them. They can't carry themselves. They need to be born place to place by beasts. These gods can't protect anything. They're being taken into captivity themselves. And he's the, God of this, the God that's speaking is the God of the heavens, the God that carried Israel out of Egypt. He can't be compared with these gods that are being carried to and fro. They have no power. Notice in verse number three, he says, Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb. And even to your old age, I am he. And even to whore hairs will I carry you. That's just saying to whenever you're old, I'll carry you. To carry you, I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and deliver you. He's made Israel, not just in the Genesis 1-1 kind of a sense, but literally. but also Israel should not have been a nation. Look at their history. They should have died in that famine that almost wiped out Egypt. But God preserved them. They should have died under the rod of Egypt in in, in slavery. But God preserved them. They should have died in the wilderness without food and alone. But God provided for them. He was a light to them by day. He had manna fall from heaven. God has provided for them every step of their way. And yet they rebel against him. God's trying to remind them who he is. He is their creator. He's without equal. Notice the passage continues, Isaiah 46, 5. He says, to whom will you liken me and make me like? You can't look at anything and say, that's like God, because he's unique. He's completely unique. Nothing is like him. Uh, In order to graduate from the college I graduated from, you need to sit down in front of two professors and pass a test. They need to ask you a bunch of questions about what do you believe about God, what do you believe about Christ, what do you believe about the Bible, what do you believe about all these different things. And one of the questions on the study sheet was this. How do you define God? And I thought about it, and I was like, oh, that's easy. God is... How do you define God? I mean, there's nothing like him. To define something is to put a boundary around it, around it. and You can't put any boundaries around God. You can know what is God and what isn't God, but he's outside of creation. He's beyond creation, as this passage says. And as multiple verses throughout these chapters say, there is nothing like God. Turn out to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 18 says, um, "To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare him, compare him?" Verse 25 says, "To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal?" saith the holy One?" And the answer is, "No one. There is no equal to God. Yeah. He is creator, and with that comes power, He has vested interest in you. He is unique. Yeah. What does this mean for us? Look at Isaiah 45. I told you we're going to move around a little bit throughout these chapters. Isaiah 45. I don't you look at verse 5? I am the Lord. There is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. And though Israel in rebellion against him, though, though they, he's not always on their mind, he's still taking care of them. He's still providing for them. I wonder how many times God has preserved us and we haven't even known it. We don't how many, how many dangers he's preserved us from. Uh, even more numerous, though, are the, are the blessings he has given us and that we do know about. He's a good God. If we think about it, we just start writing things down. I guarantee you that we can we could list a lot of things that God's done for us. One of the first things Hannah and I did in our, in our dating relationship is we would send messages back and forth to each other. I wasn't really that spiritual. I just wanted an excuse to message her. But what we did is we would send messages back and forth, and we would have a daily ritual where we would write down all the blessings from that day. And, man, you know what, Hannah, we should do that again because that was awesome. It made you think about what God's done for you that day. And, man, you know, at first those lists, like you had to think about it for a minute, but after a couple days, after a couple weeks of doing that, you start to notice things. You start to realize all that God's done, all that he's provided He's good to us. He's our creator. With that comes power. With that comes uniqueness. With that comes a vested interest. He wants to provide for us. You know, if my if my Ford Escape out there started having some problems, I wouldn't go around to the other cars in there and, and try and ask those cars to help fix it. Because they, they are cars. They, they is one. Like, they can't fix it. Like, it's not going to help. And so often, like, we, we as a creation think we can look around in creation and find fulfillment and find satisfaction. That's not the case. It's foolish thinking. Psalm 37, the Bible says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. There's a lot of things in this world that are tempting to be envious of. That we want to look at and we want to go to that for our provision. We want to go to that for our satisfaction. But, the, but that passage continues, uh, They shall soon be cut down like the grass wither as the green herb those things that we think are going to supply those things we think are going to provide happiness it's going to end it's going to burn one day it's not it's not it's not going to end with anything that passage continues though trust in the lord and do good then he says this so shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed uh, Henry Ford didn't design his car to need gas And then want to deny it gas like, He created it for a purpose And he's going to give it what it needs to run God created us for a purpose He created us with desires He created us with needs And he's going to meet those He's got a plan to meet those though He wants to be the, our satisfaction He wants to be our provider If we let him He's our creator He's powerful He has a vested interest in us He wants to provide it for us we need to acknowledge that today If you're struggling today, I want you to remember first, God is your creator. But secondly, I want you to see, he is tremendously wise. He's tremendously wise. I think you're still in Isaiah chapter 45, if you're not, turn there. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 is a very tragic verse. It says, woe, very strong language. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say unto him that fashioneth, What makest thou? Or thy work? He hath no hands. The picture here is of a of of a, of a, of a, of a craftsman making something, of a, of, a, of a clay maker making a model, and the clay is looking up at the master and is mocking it for what it's making. I want you to imagine you're making a tool for a second. You're making, say, a shovel, and, and you, 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 you get the piece of metal formed, and you have a square, and, and but you want it to to be a specific kind of shovel. So you start... Carving the edges, you start making it a little bit pointier so it can grab and get into the dirt better. And that shovel looks back back up at you and starts starts mocking you. Starts saying, "What are you doing? It's been around for 45 seconds. It knows what shovels should look like. You don't, though. Apparently, as the maker, you don't." And it's a ludicrous response. You're probably mocking me right now for that, that that ridiculous example, but it is ridiculous. It's ridiculous for a creation to mock its creator. But so often. I look at my creator, and I think, I know better than you. Like, like, if I was God, I wouldn't have myself in this situation. Let's be honest. All of us have thought that before. I, do not, I would not choose this situation to be placed in. But he knows best. He's tremendously wise. The children of Israel here, they're thinking that. They're looking, God, why do you have us in Babylon? What in the world? Like, why are we here? They, they see this little corner. As children, like, we, we only see a little bit of a sliver of the world around us. Our world is so small as children. I, I, we, we, I remember as a child, like, I didn't understand why we couldn't have ice cream every time we went out. Why whenever I was 11 or 12 and could eat, order off the adult menu. Man, I wanted those $40 steaks. Those look pretty good. And my mom was like, no, you can't, can't have them. Like, get the $15 steak. That's, that's fine. And now that I'm paying bills, my world has grown a little bit. I understand. <laughs> And, you know, that happens. Our world grows as we grow. But our world will never grow to the point of God's. He's been around forever. He knows a little bit more than we do. And he sees the whole picture. With Israel, he saw the whole picture. While those people living during this time, they couldn't see what God was doing in the grand scheme of history. All they could see was the trouble they were going through now. But God saw the sins of their fathers. He knew they had to be judged. And remember, the purpose of that judgment was so he could bless them. He wanted to purify them. Not just for the sake that he's a God up in heaven casting lightning bolts down at his people, but he loved them. But he couldn't bless them when there was sin in their life. He had to purge them. He had to draw them to himself. And sometimes we get blinders on. We don't see the big picture. We have to remember that God is wise. I to zoom out for a second. I want you to think about what is the theme of the Bible? This is a little bit of a thinking question. Maybe you'll disagree with me, and you can come have a chat with me afterward if you want. I think the theme of the Bible is God's authority. That is the theme of the Bible. Because what we see in the Bible is a powerful God that creates everything. He owns everything, do with what he wants, do with what is his, with what he pleases, and it rebels against him. So in the Bible, we see God's authority rebelled against, reconciled with. It's the theme of the Bible. And so that is God's purpose. And you know, through Israel, God wanted to reach the nations. He wanted to reconcile the nations with his authority. He wanted to reconcile the nations to himself. But Israel was not fulfilling that purpose when they're in sin to him. And While he has to judge them to get them back in line, while he has to judge them so that they are back in line, fulfilling the purpose of being a light to the nations, they don't understand what's going on. They don't see that big picture. And sometimes we don't see the big picture of God. His purpose is not for us to live an easy life. His purpose is to win the world around us. And if some trial helps us do that, praise the Lord for it. In eternity, it would be far better that a soul has come to Christ because of our trials than that we lived an easy life while we were here. May that be on our mind as we, as we go through our life. God sees the big picture. If we're struggling tonight. I want you to look at the fact that God is your creator. I want you to look at the fact that God is wise. I want you to look tonight at the fact that God is aware. God is aware. This point is maybe redundant at this point. If God's creator, if he's wise, of course he's aware. Back to Isaiah 40, verse, verse 27. Israel's original argument, Israel's original response. They say, My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. You know... His year old didn't think God was aware of their, their troubles, that God was aware of their trials. And maybe they were looking at the gods around them and thinking, man, those gods must be powerful. Or, or maybe they were thinking, man, I know better than my God, and I could pick this situation out better. But the reality is, like I mentioned, God is aware of our situations. He's aware of your situation right now. And I'm up here preaching, and, and I'm talking to a crowd, but I hope the Holy Spirit tonight is talking to an individual hope there's, there's someone in here tonight that's, that's thinking about the Creator. hope there's someone in here tonight that's realizing that God is wise and He knows what you're going through. And I couldn't even begin to tell you why or, or how or, or what God's doing in your life. But I know this. He is aware. And I want you to read through this passage. Isaiah 40, verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard it that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Again, I don't know what you're going through tonight, but I know our God is great. And the theme of judgment is, is pervasive in, in the book of Isaiah, but the theme of hope is as well. And whatever you're going through, there is hope as well. He, promises, he says here that, that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. If your strength is small tonight, it can be renewed. He giveth power to the faint. If you're faint tonight, you can receive power. It, the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. There is no strength like the strength that our Lord gives. If you're struggling tonight with anything, whatever it is, I want you to remember your creator. Remember that he is powerful, far more powerful than to, to be able to handle anything that you are going through tonight. He's unique. He has a vested interest in who he wants to help you, wants to provide for you. I want you to also realize he's wise, tremendously wise. And we see this, but he sees this. And I hope that we would willingly be part of his plan to achieve this rather than our this. Whatever you're going through tonight, remember your creator is powerful. Remember that he is wise. He's aware of what you're going through. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you. Praise you for your kindness tonight, God. You are very good to us, God. I pray that you'd allow us to remember you as creator. And with that, you, you're powerful. You love us. And Lord, with that, we need to honor you. Lord, you, you urge us to consider our latter end so many times in scripture and to consider that you are our creator. Lord, I pray that we'd remember that tonight. I pray, Lord, that we remember that you're wise. and. It's easy to get distracted by the things of this world and, and to start thinking we know better than you. But, Lord, I pray that, that that thinking would be extinguished in our minds tonight. I pray that we'd humble ourselves before you and realize that your plan is greater than our own. Lord, if there's anyone tonight that maybe doesn't know you and needs to know you as their creator, I pray that you would please uh, just work in their heart, allow them to come forward and come to know you as Savior tonight. In Jesus' I pray.